When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to THN on the O. It's the Hockey News' podcast about the Ontario Hockey League brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Ryan Kennedy, joined as always by Tony Ferrari. And Tony, some amazingly big news in the OHL just dropped the day of our podcast. St. Louis Blues first-rounder Dalibor Dvorsky leaving his Swedish club team in Oskarsham which I've probably mispronounced, uh, <laughs> but I do my best uh, to go to the Sudbury Wolves of the OHL. We're going to get to that big news pretty soon, but as is customary on this podcast, let's start with the three stars of the week in the OHL, headlined by first star Luke Misa of the Mississauga Steelheads, older brother of Michael Misa. Uh, Luke is actually draft eligible this year. He's a late 05 birthday uh tony what do you thought of luke misa he was absolutely fantastic this week and i uh, i'm sure when we get to dollar Dvorsky being in the ohl for a little while he'll be in these three star segments as well but for luke misa this week he was absolutely fantastic like i said he was a guy that was able to kind of distribute the puck he's able to score a few goals this is a guy that i wasn't expecting to be as good in his draft year as he has been so far this year obviously leading the ohl and scoring is a big thing for any draft eligible even if it is early in the season but the way he's done it the way he's distributed the puck the way he's kind of elevated his teammates on this line next to him it's been really impressive to watch and he's been a guy that i've been every time i watch him i've been liking more and more and i'm going where does he kind of slot in among these ohl draft eligibles because outside of the top couple guys it's kind of a big group of who who's next? And I think Luke Misa fits right in that group. Hmm, nice. It is kind of interesting. We've mentioned a couple of Mississauga guys already on the podcast this year. It does feel like the Steelheads, at least early on, have found some sort of magic, which is kind of lifting all boats. Whether it's Luke Misa or Ryerson Leanders and Net, uh, good times in Saga. It seems. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to watch that team go. They're they're one of the youngest teams in the OHL, and I feel like everyone around the OHL that's seeing them have all the successes going, when does this stop? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is a really good, really young team. We saw London kind of come on hot late last year and get to the OHL final. Could Mississauga really catch fire with a young squad from start to finish? Very question. And, you know, both you and I are big Porter Martone fans. He's not eligible for the draft until next year, but obviously a very fun player to watch with Mississauga with a lot of size. Another player that's got a lot of size, Carson Rakoff with the Kitchener Rangers. He's your second star of the week. Seattle Kraken, uh, second-round draft pick from this past summer. Uh, Rakoff, five goals, eight points uh, this past week for the Rangers. Rakoff, I know, you know, talking to scouts last year, they, they could certainly see the package. He had the great size. He had the skill. But it wasn't always there. It didn't always come together. Um, you know, they, they wondered about his consistency. Clearly, uh, straight out of the gate so far this season, the consistency 
has been at a very good level, would you not say? Yeah, I think Carson Brady has been fantastic to start the year. Like you said, a lot of people had concerns about consistency last year. I remember specifically at a four-goal game, and then he'd have a, a, a zero-point game for three straight. And it was one of these questions of, if this guy reaches his peak and finds some level of consistency, he could be a first-round prospect, maybe even a top-20 guy with the tools he has. But he just never was able to put it all together for more than a stretch of two or three games at a time, and then he'd disappear. So far early this season, he's seemed to put it all together. Even in the first couple of games of the year where he wasn't scoring, you saw the signs of it. You saw the, the process being there, and I think that was what was missing last year, where when he wasn't ha- scoring getting on the score sheet, there wasn't a whole lot he was providing otherwise. And this year, he's doing just about everything he'd asked for. He's playing down the middle. He's been really fun to watch. And like you said, five goals, eight points this week, a hat trick on the other, the other day. He's been fantastic. He's one point back of the scoring lead, if I'm not mistaken, uh, behind Luke Misa and his teammate. So, it's a really fun start to the season for Carson Rakoff. I'm sure Seattle Kraken fans are loving it. It's going to be about whether he can keep that going and, and find that consistency. We're all hoping he can. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, Seattle, they've only had three drafts, but I've, I've liked what they've done quite yeah. a bit so far, um, especially in the past two years, you know, they had the one big draft where they made a lot of picks. I always like when, especially new teams do that, but I, I, I liked a lot of their selections uh, in Nashville. And it is so funny, you know, we are talking about 17, 18 year olds when it comes to the draft and things like inconsistency or, you know, skating. If it's more about strength than structural, those are things that they can go away pretty quickly with, with the right amount of work and the right amount of coaching. And it makes it so difficult to figure out where to place players. And I'm sure this is the big challenge for NHL teams and scouts is, okay, well, will the kid figure it out? Because if he does, then in the case of Rykov, you've got, you know, a a budding power forward with his size and his skill. But if he doesn't, then he doesn't turn out. My hat's off to scouts everywhere because uh, as much as I like to forecast, my job's not on the line trying to figure out if these teenagers are going to become superstars or not. Uh, third star of the week in the crease, Colin McKenzie with the Ottawa 67s, uh, 948 save percentage and two wins. And this was a player I know Ottawa thought that he might get drafted last year. It didn't happen. He's listed as, as six foot, so he doesn't have ideal NHL size. But playing for Ottawa, his numbers have been great the past two, well, one season plus, you know, the couple of weeks we've played already in, the, in this OHL year. Um, but Colin McKenzie, obviously, doing big things in the 67s crease. Yeah, I think everyone had questions going into the year of whether the 67s would be able to sustain what they did last year. Especially after early in the year, everyone was kind of surprised by how good they were. And, and we're seeing them be really good yet again. I think they're a team that's always pretty good in the OHL. But captained by Luca Pinelli and, and some of the other leadership group there, They've been really good up front. They've been really good on the back end. And now with Colin McKenzie solidifying in the crease, doing what he's been doing this week, it's been really fun to watch. I think Colin McKenzie's been fantastic goalie in the OHL the last couple of years, like you said. Could this be the year that some team takes a swing? I, I know with a lot of the smaller goalies, I've had scouts tell me they want to see him do it a couple of times before they, they take a swing in the sixth or seventh round on a guy like that. And Maybe this is the time that they call McKenzie can get that. If he has a really good season with the 67s, helps lead them on a deep playoff run. 
teams will look at that and go, yeah, he's six foot, but we're starting to see some smaller goalies get into the NHL and make some noise. I mean, Dustin Wolf's one of the best goalie prospects in the world, if not the best goalie prospect in the world, and he's about six feet. So I'm not saying Colin McKenzie's Dustin Wolf, obviously, but the teams are starting to seem to get a little bit more open to at least including them in their system, whether or not they make it to the NHL. It's a different question. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, worst case scenario, you know, at the AHL level where the shooters aren't as good as they are in the NHL for the most part, you can certainly thrive as a six foot or even sub six foot goaltender. So there's certainly places in the pro arena for goalies, even if they don't make the show. And that's always important to remember. Obviously, it is nice to get drafted and and have that day, but we've also seen a ton of talented players uh, make it very far without getting drafted. So uh, good luck to Colin McKenzie and the 67s on their season. Um, News-wise, we had a good old-fashioned Donnybrook this week, Peterborough and Brantford. Uh, It all started after the game-winning OT goal was scored by Connor Lockhart. Uh, sorry, he assisted on the goal. Uh, was pushed from behind by Lucas Moore, and madness erupted. The benches cleared. You had a couple of like tilts, a lot of kind of grabbing and pushing. Uh, the big one for me, Connor Smith, the Anaheim yeah. Ducks defenseman, six foot five, super big kid. You can tell why the Ducks like him because they've had a history of uh, of bruisers. Uh, but he had quite the tilt uh, against Noah Roberts. Uh, we got some suspensions. Uh, Connor Smith got four games. The Peets were fined $2,000. Lucas Moore of Brantford was suspended two games. Noah Roberts got two games. The Brantford Bulldogs were suspended, or sorry, were fined $1,000. And then there was actually another suspension for the Bulldogs for an incident at a different point in the game. <laughs> Cedricson Ocatundo uh, got a match penalty for cross-checking Pete's defenseman Samuel Mayer in the first period. So Tony, what do we make of all this? This is something that we, we really don't see that often anymore. And, you know, I mean, fighting in general is obviously way down in major junior as a whole and, and the OHL uh, certainly part of that, but uh, things really escalated quickly there, didn't they? Yeah, this was a game I didn't see live. So I went back and watched it after I heard about the fight after the game and I wanted to see if it was going to like just come from something, if the the anger and the, the frustration throughout the game was going to be there. And obviously after that first period moment where Akatundo cross-checked, uh, oh, I forget the defenseman's name in the face, uh, Sam Mayer in the face, yeah. um, kind of after a little play into the boards, I think Mayer uh, got a guy from behind a little bit and he was going to get a penalty of his own. He gets cross-checked in the face. Obviously things uh, erupted a little bit then. But then it didn't seem to carry over through the rest of the game. There was physicality. It was a good game. I think Brantford and the Peets are, are both physical teams, teams that engage and in, 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 in throwing some big hits and stuff. And, and that was prevalent in the game. But it wasn't like there was this kind of ongoing frustration, it seems. So as much as I, I wasn't expecting this brawl after the game, it, it happened. The, the, it was one of those old school, like you said, it was a Donnie Brook, one of those old school junior B line brawls. It, it was one of those things where I think fans are going to go, even if you don't like fighting, it's fun to watch. It's entertaining. Seeing something like this happen is always going to be something that gets the, the arena going. And next time these two teams play, I'm sure there's going to be some lasting effects and some little bit of animosity between the two teams. 
it was interesting though because the the Connor this Connor Smith fight and the uh, with Noah Roberts, it was about three and a half four minutes after gameplay had stopped. There was already yeah. pushing and shoving. Things kind of died down and then erupted again. And, and it happened a couple times. It was really, really weird because even the announcers on the broadcast, you saw, you heard them go, I don't even know who's at the bottom of this pile right now. Who's right. fighting? I, I, I can see people getting punched. No clue who's throwing the punches or who's getting punched. It was wild because when you have 23, 20 kids per side, all piling up on each other, the, the three or four referees on the ice don't have much of a chance in breaking that up. So it was kind of like a one of these things where you had to let the fire die down. But man, yeah, the OHL suspensions came down and I wasn't shocked with any of them. I actually kind of thought there'd be more, to be honest, out of uh, everything that happened. Yeah, fair enough. It reminded me a little bit. Years ago, I drove out to Oshawa to see Steven Stamkos and Sarnia play John Tavares and the Generals. And I remember a couple of different things. One, as soon as I got out of Toronto proper, there was a blizzard. So it was <laughs> terrible driving. Uh, once I got there, it was the first time I had been to that arena. I didn't know where to go to, to sit. And as it turns out, there is no press box in Oshawa. I ended up on the catwalk during uh, the opening face-off, which I was not supposed to be there. Eventually, I ended up sitting next to Sarnia's goaltending coach somewhere. And then at the very end of the game, it was a great game. Stamkos, I think he had three points. Oshawa won 4-3. Um, but just at the end of the game, one of Oshawa's goons speared somebody on the sting. It might have even been Stamkos. And everybody was already on the ice. So I was like, ooh, this could get out of control really quickly. Uh, but luckily, everybody sort of kept a cooler head. I think there was one fight, but it didn't spill over into absolute chaos. But... Uh, it can happen every once in a while. So there you go. Uh, continuing with news, Greg Walters, surprise firing in Owen Sound or dismissal, however you want to re refer to it. Uh, the attack 4-2-1 already. Uh, Darren Rumble, who had been the assistant coach, uh, moves up as an uh, interim coach for now. And Darren Rumble, should be pointed out, has been a head coach elsewhere in the Q, also in the AHL. So tons of experience there. Um this is very interesting, Tony. Uh, GM Dale DeGray said it, it wasn't any particular incident. Uh, there, you know, there's no scandal here. And obviously the team's doing all right, but there was a lot of things. It, it feels like there was a disconnect between Walters and management in terms of how this team was going to play, how players were going to be deployed. And all of a sudden, uh, Walters is out. Yeah, I talked to a few people around the league when this happened, and I was just asking why. What, what, what went into this? Because even if there was a little bit of a disagreement, even if there was a little bit of a, just a disconnect between the head coach and the, the management staff, th there has to be a way that you can get things going when this has been a fairly successful coach who's out to a pretty decent start. 4-2-1 isn't a bad start at all. It's a good start for a team like the Owen Sound Attack. And yeah. I think it just came down to the fact that over the offseason, there were discussions about, like you said, some systems changes, a little bit of the stylistic of the way they wanted to play. And, and can they get this team kind of taking advantage of some of the skill and the, the higher end talent that this team has this year? I think we've talked about it before. Owen Sound doesn't always have a big star on the team. They don't have a guy that's always a, a big name in the OHL, but they have guys like that this year with Colby Barlow and stuff like that. So I think this team wanted to play a bit differently than they have this year. I think they've been a very North-South kind of dump and chase team at times over the last few years and including this year and 
while it's found them some success, I think management wanted to try to play a little bit differently. They wanted to have a little bit of a disconnect. And I think another thing that hasn't really been out there a whole lot is there was a little bit of a disconnect with, with Greg Walters and the players as well. I think there kind of becomes a time when the voice in the room doesn't necessarily resonate like it once did. And I think that played a factor in this as well, based on the conversations I've had. So I think, this is a guy we'll probably see back in the OHL at some point and he's, or in hockey in general because he's proven to be a pretty decent coach. I just don't think the fit was there. I don't think the match was there anymore with the management staff and in his coaching style. And I think the players needed a fresh voice as well. So although they're getting the assistant coach, I think we've seen it all over hockey, all over sports in general. Sometimes when the assistant coach is down at the assistant level, they're more friendly. They're kind of bridging, bridging gaps and, and being cop. a little bit more of that. Yeah. They're being the good cop. Right. And yeah. now that he's in the, the head coaching spot, he gets to be the bad cop a little bit more and he can be that little bit of a different voice and maybe assert himself a little bit more than he has in the past. Well, there you go. And we'll see uh, how Owen Sound ends up playing under Rumble. If you do have a talent like Colby Barlow, maybe don't dump the puck in, maybe keep the puck on his stick because we know what he can do with it. Okay. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. To the big news, Dalibor Dvorsky, uh, one of my favorite prospects, I would say. I've been following him for, for years now because, you know, playing for Slovakia internationally, he's been part of that wave with kids like Slavkovsky and Mesar and Simon Nemich, where, you know, they were really starting to, to get something going for Slovakia. And I, and I think even at this World Juniors coming up, we'll see a very good national squad there. Dvorsky had been playing in Sweden, and it, it didn't seem to be working out this year. Uh, wasn't getting a lot of minutes. Felt like his teammates weren't meshing with him. This is, I mean, this is a highly skilled player with amazing hockey IQ, and he wasn't getting his points. It might have been the guys he was playing with, but whatever it was, it wasn't a fit anymore. So he's he's coming over to the Sudbury Wolves, who you know we've already talked about them on the pod- podcast this year, a lot of good high-end talent, David Goyette, Quentin Musty. It's a pretty solid lineup. Dvorsky gives them basically a new number one center. Um, but let's start off with just uh, initial reaction because there's a couple of different things to talk about with this move. But let's just start, start it with you know, your thoughts on Dvorsky joining the Wolves. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic for the Wolves. It's a great, like you said, it's a great offensive talent that joins a a team that has a lot of high-end talent already and, and could compete for the OHL championship. I think that's the big thing is this is a team bolstering their already high-end talent. It, it's going to be really fun to watch. I think one of the big things was you saw, I went back and I watched a couple games of his this, this afternoon from earlier in the year, and he was getting some decent minutes. He wasn't getting top line minutes by any means, but he was playing in the middle six and getting some decent minutes, getting good opportunities. And the fit just didn't seem to be there. No matter who he was playing with, I saw him play with a few different players. It just didn't seem like his play style was meshing with anyone's and there wasn't really chemistry. And sometimes you look to switch guys up and find that instant chemistry and it just wasn't happening. So the the team wasn't a, a super strong team either. 
Um, they reduced his minutes heavily in the last couple of games, and they ended up winning one of those games after going winless in six straight. And maybe the team just decided, hey, you know what? Maybe this wasn't going to be the fit that we all thought it was going to be. He probably went, I don't want to be relegated to fourth line, 13 forward duty. Let's just make this a clean break. Come over to North America. When it was initially announced, I thought maybe there'd be some AHL time. Him coming to the OHL, I think, is going to be huge for the league, though. Definitely. And it is worth noting that even though he's played in Sweden for a, a number of years already, he really kind of made his name with AIK, which was the team yeah. he was with before this season. So new address, didn't seem to work out. Everyone moves on. The sort of second part of this component is obviously he is an import player. You can only have two import players uh, on your roster. The Wolves now have three because they have Jakob Vondras, their goaltender, and a Carolina Hurricanes pick. And then defenseman Jakob Kromiak, who is actually up for the draft this year. Um if I if I know the rule correctly, and you can let me know, Tony, because Chromiak has already played a season in Sudbury, he would probably be the one that gets traded. Correct? Yeah, it seems to be that the, the case with Chromiak being the guy on the way out. I think you were seeing him play a lot of top four minutes, and kind of similar to the way uh, Dvorsky saw his minutes reduced in the last few games that he was in Sweden. You've seen Chromiak's minutes get reduced a little bit recently. He went from playing top four to top six and kind of on that bottom pairing a little bit or and just not seeing the ice time he was. It may just be a result of, hey, things kind of aren't working out here, but there's still a lot of potential with this player. We can get some value, trade him to a team that could use a, a guy that can play on the power play, a guy that can play a little bit offensively and, and do some of that stuff for them. There's a lot of teams around the OHL. Everyone has their imports and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see who decides to make the switch with their imports. Is Do they send one of their imports back overseas? What what ends up happening? But yeah, it unfortunately, it means it's probably the end of the road for Chromiak in Sudbury. But it's going to be really fun to see Dvorsky over in Sudbury because he's a really, really high-end talent and a game-breaker at the OHL level. We've seen him play at the junior level in Sweden absolutely dominant we've seen him play at the world juniors at their under 18s absolutely dominant and, and really good at the world juniors so he's used to this level he can play at this level it's not going to be a huge adjustment period especially when your big calling card is your your two-way game and your big shot so i think he's going to adjust quickly like you said though it, it's kind of unfortunate for chromiak yeah just sort of the nature of the business and hopefully he lands on his feet somewhere i you know i mean you can have two imports but not every team does have two imports that are are regular players so hopefully he finds an opportunity there because obviously none of this is chromiac's fault but i agree i'm very excited to see what Dvorsky can do over here i was already looking at the schedule to see you know do they play oshawa do they play mississauga because uh, i'm based in toronto and uh there are some dates coming up so i might uh might get to see Dvorsky in person before he inevitably goes ironically back to Sweden for the world juniors uh, where I will see him in Gothenburg. So I am, I win either way, which is what I love. Um, we're going to go to our NHL prospect pipeline team of the week. Now it's the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, currently they only have one prospect in the OHL, but they have had success in the past. Obviously Jack Quinn, uh, even though he's hurt now, he was a, a big player for the Ottawa 67s. They also, they did draft Josh Bloom, but then uh, have since traded him to the Vancouver Canucks organization for Riley Stillman. Uh, Josh Bloom uh, played for Saginaw, and then also he played for North Bay last year. 
but they do have Ethan Mietema, uh, big power forward, left winger for the Kingston Frontenacs. They got him in the fourth round uh, this summer. And, you know, uh, kind of similar to Carson Rykoff in that when I talked to scouts about Mietema, his draft year, it was very much, you know, he's got the size, he's got the tools, but he doesn't always necessarily show up. I saw him at the Buffalo Sabres Prospect Challenge uh, this summer, and he had a very impressive game there playing against uh, Montreal's kids where you could tell he was really using his size to be effective, got some good scoring chances. Uh, but, Tony, your thoughts on Mietema and, and what he could maybe do for the Sabres down the road? Well, Mietema is a really interesting player. He started out in Windsor, so I saw him a lot early in his career. And there's a lot of highlight reel goals and a lot of highlight reel assists where he used his size. He had some really good skill for a player his size. And he was able to deke and dangle around guys, put pucks around goalies, and score some really nice goals. Um, and then he was the big piece kind of going back to Kingston in the Shane Wright deal. And I think right. finding some comfort level last year for him was a bit of an issue. He didn't really ever – really land on his feet in Kingston. And that was a big thing for him. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing because you see him come out and he's got eight points in, eight, in six games uh, to start the year uh, or four points. In, yeah. Eight points in eight games sort of start this year. Um, been a really good player for the Kingston Frontenacs who aren't a great team, but he's been able to step up and really put, put together some good offensive shifts, good offensive uh, pull for that team. And he's driving play a little bit more. And I think you're seeing him use that size, use that skill, uh, to the best of his ability. He's not the most fleet of foot player, so I think that's going to be something he needs to work on. But like we talked about earlier, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, skating oftentimes, especially when it's just a power thing, a coordination thing, it can be fixed. It can be cleaned up with a little bit of coaching and a little bit of work in the summer. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that already this year. You're seeing him be a little bit more explosive, a little bit uh, quicker. I think the agility and some of those smaller area things are going to need to be cleaned up still. But seeing that progress is always a good sign. It kind of leads you to believe that more progress can be made. So I think this is a really good player for the Kingston Frontenacs. Is he going to score the lights out all year? Probably not. I, I think he, he could – maybe touch 70 80 points and in, in if he plays a full season with the fronts but it's going to be about adversity this year with that front next team because they're not going to be a, a world beating team by any means so it's going to be about him dragging some of the other guys in that team along with him right could be a good player bad team scenario yeah. where it's like someone's got a score might as well be him and i do wonder if if not this year then even next year um, you know, I mean, Kingston, I think they're kind of at the trough of that rebuild at this point. Yeah. But I wonder if Mietema is a guy that next year gets traded at the deadline to a contender, for example. So we'll we'll see what uh, happens there. He was the only uh, current Sabres prospect in the OHL. But the Sabres are also so loaded with young talent right now that <clears throat> they don't really have spots for them anyways. So good for him to develop in the OHL. Uh, somebody else developing the OHL right now as we go to our draft prospect of the week spotlight, Henry Muse, going back to the Ottawa 67s. Um, Henry Muse, one of the best defensemen available in the draft this year, uh, by my estimation. Now, it is a bit of a logjam because you have quite a few good young defensemen available this year, kind of the opposite of last year where it was slim pickings. But Henry Muse, I, I, I've been impressed so far. You know, we've seen him internationally with Team Canada and obviously on a very good 67s team last year. Uh, he put up a ton of points as a, a rookie. 
Uh, but Tony, your assessment of, of Henry Muse and his potential. He's a really, really good player. And when I was doing some of the, the write up for this podcast, I saw that he only had four points in six games. And despite that being a pretty good total, I was a little shocked it wasn't higher. I, I've watched him play a few times this year, and he's been a guy that generates offense, moves the puck from that back end, and does a lot of things really, really well with the puck on his stick. I think sometimes he can get a little bit risky with it, but that's going to happen when you have an offensive defenseman like this. He's not a guy that really lacks size. It's not like he's a 5'9", 5'10", defenseman. So he's got the the size you want to see, at least from an offensive to blue liner. And he's starting to develop that defensive game a little bit more as well. I think that was kind of an area of concern for him last year. But you saw him take steps, and, and you've seen him take even more steps this year. I think he's playing on a, a pairing with Morelli, another draft-eligible player. And it's a young pairing, but it's been a very effective pairing for the most part this year. They've been really good together. And I think Henry Muse is the driving force of that line. I think Morelli's more of that kind of stay back, kind of make the smart, easy play. And Muse is a more dynamic presence, the guy that's creating from the back end. I think you look for your defenseman to, at least in the modern game, to generate things for your forwards, hit the breakout pass to a guy in motion rather than hit it to a, a guy just posted up along the board so that you can get things going with speed into the offensive zone to put the opposing team's defenders on their feet or on their heels and then Muse can get up in the play as well. I think that's the big thing with him is he does that all the time, and it's just going to be about kind of finding ways to produce a little bit more, finding ways to kind of continue improving that defensive game. And like you said, he's one of the best defenders in this draft class. I think uh, on Elite Prospects Consolidated Ranking, he was at 13. I've seen him as high as 8 or 9. I've seen him not much lower than 14, 15. So he's right in that top 10, right outside the top 10 range. It's going to be interesting to see kind of where he ends up because, like you said, guys like Adam Juracek, uh, Artem Levishnikov, um, Anton Siliev, and not to mention other defensemen in the OHL like Sam Dickinson, it's this kind of big mash of defenders up at the top this year. And it's really fun to see after, like you said, a couple of years of uh, lacking a, a top-tier defensive prospect. Yeah, and I do wonder too, you know, an, uh, another blue liner to watch, Aaron Kiviharyu out of Finland mm – -hmm is injured right now. So there is spots for guys to kind of step up in that spotlight. And it'll be interesting to see how it all, <clears throat> excuse me, how it all shakes out. Well, Tony, that's all we got for this episode. Uh, thank you for all your insights. Thank you for all our listeners. Uh, this has been THN on the O brought to you by BetMGM. If you want to listen to this one again, or any of our other podcasts, go to THN.com slash podcast. We got them all posted up there. I'm Ryan Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us.